0: You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Hey in Red Door Church, we are in week 8 of a 10-week series looking at the habits of grace, and by this point, you're probably depending on how you're wired and what season of life you're in, you're probably receiving these messages either as invitations or as condemnations. And our hope and our prayer is that you would receive these as as invitations into life and health and wholeness and well-being, into a, a daily apprenticeship with Jesus, which is what you were made for. But the reality is that for many of us, we hear these messages and receive them as condemnations. That is, they remind us of all the things that we're not doing, that we know we should be doing, but that we can't be doing for whatever reason. And that danger of condemnation is really strong in today's message because we're going to talk about fasting today and who among us is fasting? Like, seriously, at least at the moment, you know, it's about eight degrees outside and we're all in lockdown. And I mean, fasting is about the furthest thing from your daily routine as you can get. I mean, you're spending most of your day going from the fridge to the pantry, back to the fridge and then like making occasional forays into the garage to see if maybe there's some food in there that you forgot that you had or you know like that's just the reality for us at the moment and uh but in general as western christians we have traditionally struggled to put into regular practice this discipline of fasting and i was trying to think why that might be and the The easiest conclusion to come to, and it's kind of a lazy conclusion, is just that we are, I don't know, we have too much stuff. We're too comfortable. We're too addicted to food. We're like Paul says to the Philippians, their God is their belly, right? We just, we arrange all of our lives around food. We worship food. Food is too important for us to give up. And so we don't fast. But the more I thought about it, actually, the more I realized, at least, when I think about our church, I see a lot of people who are really self-disciplined with food. They're really knowledgeable about nutrition. They're really committed to eating healthy or to you know keeping themselves um, healthy in terms of their nutrition, exercise, all that stuff. I feel like we're pretty well-versed in that kind of thing and we're pretty disciplined with that kind of thing. And so actually, I think rather than laying the blame at the feet of lazy Western affluent Christians, we should probably lay the blame at my feet, at the feet of pastor teachers who have not done a good job in teaching the people of God about the necessity of the practice of fasting and how it forms part of the fabric of our lives as Christians, how it's part of our daily apprenticeship with Jesus. And John Calvin actually picked up on this back in the 16th century. He picked up on this fact that there seemed to be this sort of ignorance around fasting in the church. And here's how he put it. Let us say something about fasting because many, for want of knowing its usefulness, undervalue its necessity and some reject it as almost superfluous. So he says that because of a lack of knowledge, people regard fasting as something superfluous, that is, that something redundant, something that's not really part of uh, the daily life of Christians. And yet he says, no, no, we need to understand its necessity. And so that's what I want to begin with this morning, just looking at the fact that Jesus expected his disciples to fast. And the most clear indication we have of this, though we don't have a direct command from Jesus that we should fast, um, we do have very clear evidence that he expected us to be fasting regularly. And the best place to go to for this is in Matthew chapter 9. This is what it says there. Then John's disciples came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus is talking about the fact that while he is with, as the the, the bridegroom, while he is with the wedding guests with his disciples, they're not going to be fasting then. This is a time to celebrate. The Messiah is with us. But the time is coming when he will be taken from them. That is when he will die on the cross and then rise and ascend to heaven. And in that time, during that church age between his first or his resurrection and ascension, and then his coming again, in that time, then he says, they will. Fast. He simply expects that his disciples will be fasting. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about that passage. Jesus takes it for granted that his disciples will observe the pious custom of fasting. Strict exercise of self-control is an essential feature of the Christian's life. Such customs have only one purpose, to make the disciples more ready and cheerful to accomplish those things which God would have done. And that's what this series has been all about. It's been about educating ourselves, gaining ourselves ourselves biblical knowledge about those practices which Jesus is inviting us into so that as we practice them, we might be more ready and cheerful to accomplish those things which God would have done. And so it is with fasting. And so it was with Jesus' disciples in the early church. You'll see throughout the New Testament references to the disciples of Jesus, disciples of the way, right Christians, participating in and practicing fasting. So you see this in the book of Acts. One example is from Acts chapter 14. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so you had this regular practice of fasting being part of, in this case, the process of installing elders in new churches that they were planting. We're going to see later another reference to fasting being part of the normal Ritual and routine of worship. And so you have this statement of fact from the beginning. Jesus expected his disciples to fast, and the early church shows us that that's exactly what they did. That ought to give us some information at least about what our pattern of practice should be when it comes to fasting. Now, I want to talk about three purposes of fasting now taking for granted the fact that actually even if we've never fasted before we ought to hear what's just been said and think well i need to put this into practice in my life and in that case what are the purposes of fasting if i'm going to understand this well and do it purposefully what are some purposes for fasting for christians today and the first purpose i want to explore is fasting as an expression of desperation. This is what Joseph Wimmer says about this purpose of fasting. The weakness of hunger, which leads to death, brings forth the goodness and power of God who wills life. Here there is no extortion No magic attempt to force God's will. We merely look with confidence upon our Heavenly Father and through our fasting say in our hearts, Father, without you I will die. Come to my assistance. Make haste to help me. We've done this as a church over the years, not as regularly as we could have or perhaps should have, but we have responded to dire circumstances with prayer and fasting. I remember back in 2014, we called our church to pray and fast on Wednesdays for the situation in South Sudan, the the political unrest, the war, the tribal warfare to pray and fast as an expression of desperation for God to move. And I remember just feeling that sense of desperation, like this situation has gone on for so long now. And we have people in our congregation who are so viscerally affected by it that we need to do more than just call a prayer meeting. We need to fast as an expression of our deep hunger for God to move in this situation. We did it at the beginning of the year in response to the bushfire crisis. And some of us have been doing it more recently in response to the COVID-19 crisis. But this, this expression of our desperate need for God to move as sort of um, expressed through the practice of going without food. You see this throughout biblical history, right? You see all throughout the Old Testament the people of God fasting as a means of expressing grief or desperation. Joel chapter 2 says this, Even now, this is the Lord's declaration, turn to me with all your heart with fasting, weeping and mourning. Tear your hearts not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. You see this again happening all throughout Old Testament history. You saw this with Moses on Mount Sinai fasting for God to move and to Respond to the people of Israel's need and God does. He provides Moses with the Old Testament law which would not only form the basis of civilization for the Old Testament people of God but then for civilization for the next 3,000 years. That came about in response to Moses' desperation in fasting before God. You see this with Esther calling on the people of Israel to fast and to pray for deliverance from Haman and his plot to destroy the people of God. And God does respond to their fasting and prayer and exposes Haman and delivers the people. You see this in Nehemiah as he surveys the the ruins of Jerusalem. He calls for a fast and God responds in providing him with everything he needs to rebuild Jerusalem. Through the provision of King Artaxerxes and all of the, the the financial resources required to do the work, you see this throughout history, not just biblical history, but you see it in church history as well. The the desperation of people expressed through fasting and prayer it's really interesting. You can see this through modern church history. There's a really interesting entry in John Wesley's uh, journal about the fact that in, uh, I think it's 1756, you have the French camped across the Channel from Britain planning an invasion of Britain. And the response of the King of Britain was to call a national fast. So for everyone in Britain to just put everything down and to fast and to pray for deliverance from the French. And here's what John Wesley wrote in his journal. The fast day was a glorious day, such as London has scarce seen since the Restoration. That happened about a 100 years before. Every church in the city was more than full and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer, and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. And then later he inserted in a footnote, humility was turned into national rejoicing for the threatened invasion by the French was averted. And John Wesley attributed that Aversion of the threat to the the expression of desperation that was um, demonstrated through the fasting and prayer of the people of Britain. And so you see this through biblical history and church history this expression of desperation through fasting. Another purpose of fasting is that it's an, an aid to our worship. It's somehow fasting from food, right? denying ourselves good things. Right? Food is a good gift from God, somehow, but somehow denying ourselves that good gift sharpens us up, right? makes us more open to experiencing God in worship. John Piper wrote a book called A Hunger for God which is all about fasting which I recommend to you and you can actually get a free PDF version online um, and in it he says something like uh, the greatest enemy of a hunger for God is not poison but apple pie and his point is that um, that the the things that dull our openness and our keenness and our the kind vitality of in worship are not necessarily poisons they 're not sins necessarily they 're not the enemy it 's actually the good things of God which can actually numb us to the goodness of God himself. We end up worshipping the creation rather than the creator and so Abstaining from these good things can actually reignite our sense of keenness and openness to the ministry of God through worship. You can see this in Acts chapter 13 where we get an insight into their practice of worship in the first century. It says, As they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. When you read the book of Acts, it's just so clear that fasting was a regular discipline that Christians exercised, and it was a regular part of their worship as God's people. And that's because it functions in such a way as to enhance our worship. Charles Spurgeon, who was the pastor of the biggest church in the world in the 19th century, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, he said this about fasting in his church. Our seasons of fasting and prayer at the Metropolitan Tabernacle have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gates stood wider. Never have our hearts been nearer the central glory. That's the purpose of fasting in opening us up to the glory of God in worship. It is an aid to our worship. If you are dry, if you are feeling a sense of dryness right now, or a sense of just... Deadened or numbed affections for God and for the things of God, for the glory of God, then put this to the test. Start experimenting with the practice of fasting and see if it doesn't awaken your senses more keenly to the glory of God in worship. So we see the purpose of fasting in as an expression of desperation for God to move. We see the purpose of fasting as an aid to worship. And lastly, we see the purpose of fasting as a jumpstart for gratitude. And this is just a brief point I want to make, which is more of an anecdotal thing that I've, I haven't picked up in my reading on fasting, but it's more something that I've noticed is, that's going on in the culture around us right now. Okay, and and this is how I've noticed it. I've heard people say a whole lot recently um, things like this. Uh, The fact that we have been forced to socially distance ourselves has awakened me to just how much I enjoy having social interaction and social contact, and therefore once these prohibitions have been lifted... I'm just going to go around and hug everyone. Have you heard people say stuff like that? I can't wait until we're just allowed to gather together. I'm just going to give everyone a big hug. I've heard that over and over and over again. So what's going on there? I think the, the enforced fasting of social, from social contact has alerted us to the preciousness of social contact so that when we're able to resume social contact, we're going to be more grateful for the gift of social contact. And the same is true when we fast from other good things, like food or whatever good gift you determine you will fast from. It awakens in us a sense of gratitude for that which we had taken for granted. If you've got kids, you'll know that one of the difficulties of getting everyone to say grace together is not just remembering to do it. It's actually saying grace in such a way that communicates real gratitude for this food. Why? Because we have so much food that we're not actually that grateful for it. Right, food. There's food in the fridge and the cupboard year round. We're, we just don't feel that grateful for it. But if the food is taken from us, then how quickly we will turn to God in gratitude for the food that we have. The same is going on now with this enforced fast from social interaction, and the same is true whenever we employ this discipline, this habit, this practice of fasting. It Reignites in us a sense of gratitude for the good gifts of God. So there's three purposes for fasting. I want to finish by just giving some practical advice for fasting. And this advice is not coming from me from the fount of my wisdom and knowledge and experience this is coming straight out of a book which i recommend you read it's called habits of grace um, it's been one of the key texts we've been referring to during this series and it's written by david mathis um, and i just want to i want to read for you some practical points of application for you if you've heard this message and you've thought yeah i can see actually jesus is expecting fasting to be a normal part of my, my weekly rhythm as an as a apprentice, as a disciple? I can see the purposes, right, the good purposes of God in fasting. Then, how do we sort of get underway? Here's five points. And I'm just going to read these for you and encourage you to put them into practice. So, five practical points from Habits of Grace by David Mathis. Number one, start small. Don't go from no fasting to attempting a week-long fast. Start with one meal, then try two meals, and work your way up to a day-long fast. And I would just add an edit there, Um, Don't start today. If you're watching this on a Sunday, don't start today because in church tradition, Sunday has never been a fast day. Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. It's the day that we remember Jesus rose from the dead and so Sunday, every Sunday, is a feast day, not a fast day. All right, number two, plan what you'll do instead of eating. So each fast should have a specific spiritual purpose. Identify what that is and design a focus to replace the time you would have spent eating. Without a purpose and plan, it's not Christian fasting. It's just going hungry. And so we need to be conscious of what our purpose is in this particular fast. I would recommend just write it down and then once you've been through the fast, reflect back on the purpose and sort of journal through that and say, this was my purpose, what were the outcomes? Where, where can I see fruit that's being born through the purpose of and practice of this fast? All right, number three. Consider how it will affect others. Love for God and for neighbour go together. So as you plan your fast, consider how it will affect others. If you have regular lunches with colleagues or dinners with family or roommates, assess how your abstaining will affect them and let them know ahead of time. Okay, point number four. Try different kinds of fasting. In particular, consider fasting together with your family, small group or church. Do you share together in some special need for God's wisdom and guidance? Is there an unusual difficulty in the church or society, uh, yes, for which you need God's intervention? Plead with special earnestness for God's help by linking arms with other believers to fast together. And I would just say, yes, this is true, not only for the habit of Fasting, but, in all of the things we 've been talking about, we need to yes, apply this in the in our individual lives, but all of the things we 've been talking about silence and solitude as an exception to this rule because it kind of requires us to be alone but in as far as the other things go, in terms of our prayer life, our Bible reading, our killing of sin, right, confession, when it comes to. Fasting. Next week we'll talk about feasting and then Sabbath. All of these things actually we should be putting into practice not just in our individual lives but in our corporate life. We should be inviting others, our family and household, our small group or accountability group, our church life itself should be involved in these practices so that it's not just on me to kind of white-knuckle it and get through and establish these habits. But actually, know this is something the people of God do together in community. So important. Four things. Fifth thing, fast from something other than food. If the better part of wisdom for you in your health condition is not to go without food, Consider fasting from television, computer, social media or some other regular enjoyment that would bend your heart toward greater enjoyment of Jesus. And I would just say that is the purpose of all of these disciplines and habits that we've been looking at. The purpose of them is to awaken us to a deeper appreciation for the glory of God in his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the purpose of our fasting, whether it's from food or from other enjoyments and good gifts or a combination of all those things, the purpose is that it might awaken in us a greater and deeper sense of God's goodness and his glory. So yes, we fast as an expression of our desperation for God to move. We fast as an aid to worship of Jesus. We fast as a jumpstart to thanksgiving. And over all these things, we employ an ongoing disciplined habit of fasting to greater open our eyes to the glory of God in his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me finish there with a word of blessing over us. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.